Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast going back in the time machine to March of 1997 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Just the three volumes for you this month. Volume 1 takes us to the WWF looking at WrestleMania and Volume number 2 takes us to WCW looking at Uncensored. We're here in number 3 to discuss ECW, the uh, the weeks leading up to their barely legal show that's happening next month. I'm being joined firstly by Eric Landstrom. Eric, hello. Afternoon, gentlemen. And Chris Lighty. How do you, Bob? Back, uh, we start with the news uh, that the barely legal card has been finalised. It has. Um, over this past month, um, obviously we'll go through it a bit more on TV, uh, but they have finally got the full lineup for the pay-per-view. So, here is the complete list of matches as we know it by the end of this month. Will be the Eliminators def- defending the tag team titles against Bubba Ray and D-Bomb. Was, but it's not going to be yep. anymore. Swap and reverse that. It's now the Dudley Boys defending their titles against the Eliminators. Uh, Chris Candido will be in a match against someone that's meant to be determined on the night. He might the, now be injured. There is the injury angle. Uh, we have a Mani- Mishinoku Pro Wrestling match between the great Sasuke, Grand Ninoa, and Grand Hamada going against Tash Mishinoku, Terry Boy, and Dick Togo. Pitbull 2 will be challenging Shane Douglas for the ECW TV title. The much-anticipated Sabu versus Taz match. And the triangle match between Terry Funk, Stevie Richards and the Sandman with the winner of that facing Raven later on in the night for the title. The most noticeable thing from this list is that there is no Tommy Dreamer or Brian Lee on there. I'll discuss more about that at the end of the show. Uh, more ECW action on the newly renamed Raw is War. Again, this month, uh, a host of ECW guys appeared on the 10th of March episode of Raw is War. Uh, Sabu went through a table uh, in a spot where Taz and Lawler were going at it and he missed Taz and went through the table. There was also a great debate between Jerry Lawler and Paul E. Basic highlights on it is Jerry Lawler badmouths the small bingo hall crowds, the fact that the Fed pull in 
massive more numbers and they should be grateful for their time on TV and calls ECW a joke. Obviously, this will be covered more in the WWF issue of Wrestling 20 Years Ago. And the, I won't call it news, but the kind of reports coming out of ECW is that area Jerry Lawler might be uh, coming in for to work Tommy Dreamer at some point uh, down the road, so we'll see about that. As we sort of mentioned a couple of minutes ago, uh, the Eliminators won't be defending their tag team champions, uh, champion championships at the pay-per-view because they don't have them anymore. That is true. We have new tag team champions as the Dudleys beat the Eliminators this month on TV. Um, match we covered a bit more in the TV review, but this sees Bubba Ray and Devon's first titles in the company. And while it has all been a bit becalmed uh, in the last few months, as our ECW has been gearing up for, for pay-per-view with a very stable roster, uh, reports this month about Rob Van Dam and possibly even Sabu being on their way out not long after the pay-per-view. So, RVD was backstage at a recent Nitro. He claimed he was there not looking for a job, but actually just to see friends. But there is reports that there was some talking backstage with members of the WCW representatives. Sabu, on the other hand, is believed to have been putting out feelers for the Fed while they're on the Raw is War. But it is believed, due to his past history, the Fed are not too hot on the idea of taking him. More turnaway crowds for ECW. At the 8th of March at Trenton, New Jersey, ECW drew a paid crowd of 1,300 people and were literally turning people away from the door. There was an estimate that there was between 800 and 1,000 people turned away. The, there were so many fans outside the building, it is believed that police were actually there to keep order and restrain. ECW tried to book a second shirt taping or a second show for that night, basically to get these people a chance to see ECW and wait the extra two and a half hours for the show. But the managers of the building decided they did not want to wait for a show to be finished past midnight, so they refused the operation. And news on Dr. Death, Steve Williams, being caught in some very serious uh, legal or uh, felony problems. So, the ECW and All Japan wrestling star Dr. Death, Steve Williams, was arrested this past month in an airport as he was found to have an undeclared 150 boxes of prescription medications. Oh, you do. You know, yeah, we, no. we, we've all been caught, right? We've, we've all been caught with that extra couple of boxes of paracetamol, but, you know, 150 is a tad much. 125 um, you can live with. 150, that's a little much. <laughs> um, this, surprisingly, is not the first time that he's had issues with having too much medication on planes, as he has been caught twice before in the past 10 years. He was released uh, from the West Ca- Webb County Jail after posting a $25,000 bail. Um, the reports are the drugs that were seized on him, he had 80 boxes of Neuroprocodone, 17 boxes of Valium, 16 boxes of Halicon, 15 boxes of Tamagrinistique, 26 boxes of Narvan, and 8 boxes of Ritolvi. So... One, two things just to get you through the day. I'm fair fucks, Chris. You did try and pronounce all of those correctly. I'll give you I'll give you points for that at least. Um, 
Yes, uh, we'll discuss uh, a bit of the news in a minute, but the, the final point comes back to me. There was a, a piece, what newspaper was in it? It was in, uh, I've got Boston in my head, the Improper Bostonian publication, whatever that is, uh, published a piece, six-page six page piece, looking at uh, all things ECW um, in the run-up or in the aftermath of all their shows. As much as it was one of the better um, mainstream bits of press ECW got, it wasn't really noteworthy for the, the first half. But the second, second half explicitly covered the uh, new Jack Eric Kulas incident from last year. Um, and there are quotes in it from Eric Kulas. Um, so I'm going to read a couple of uh, paragraphs. I think this is from the Pro Wrestling Torch. <laughs> Sherman interviewed Kulas, who echoed the words he told the Torch after the incident. Wrote Sherman, Eric says that all Paul Heyman ever asked him was that his name was his name, not his age, or what experience he had in the ring and no scenario was discussed that gave Kulis any clue of what was going to happen in the ring in the wrestling business it's called a shoot Eric says as a surprise attack he's familiar with the practice of blading but says in that case you can't really call it blading blading is just a prick and I have got a six inch slice that says it wasn't blading I have a crack in my skull I have a permanent I have permanent nerve damage and a permanent muscle damage in my head you know the fork he was carrying on a noose? I have holes that they couldn't stitch. They were so small, so now I've got craters all over my face. Kulis says he hates Mr. Heyman for lying through his teeth, and he hated New Jack for what he did to, to, to his face and his family. He said, the hardest time of my life has been the ho- in the holidays, especially thanksgiving i'd sit there and almost start crying because i had so much to be thankful for my grandmother would start crying go to her house because every time she sees my face she starts crying i feel if they did anything else it would i would have been raped it was almost like getting crucified with a thousand people watching as of now i hate wrestling it ruined my life and i advise anybody out there never to want to wrestle it's a dirty sport and there's further things further down about them uh looking at legal action and possibilities around all of that. Um, Eric, input on, on any of all of the above? Well, as the uh, self-titled uh, wrestling 20 years ago legal correspondent, I will uh, touch on the on the coolest incident because that, that, that one's not going to go away anytime soon, really. You know, this is not surprising at all, though. The comments he made in The Torch right after the incident, if I remember, if I remember correctly, he made some comments afterwards where he was like, well... You know, I got messed up, but, you know, it's not really that bad. Is my memory correct there, Bob? And now now he's really starting to sing like a lawyer's been talking with him. It's not a coincidence that ECW's first pay-per-view is only a, a month or so away um, that this that this is now coming to the forefront. This has, this has lawyers' fingerprints written all over it. If I'm Paul Heyman, man, I'm nervous because – this is a situation which was which obviously handled badly on his end, and now Coolis knows the words to say, what not to say, and he's really tugging on the heartstrings of, of the folks who are already probably uh, casting aspersions on pro wrestling and especially ECW. So this looks really bad um, for them, and I hope that they can reach a settlement or 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 figure something out because Coolis, as a as a 17 year old, a minor, he had no consent to contract. Then putting him out there in a quote-unquote wrestling match with New Jack uh, to basically cut his face up, uh, apropos to a horror movie, um, that's a lot of bad facts against ECW. And because Coolis was 17 and not 18, he's absolved of a lot of the decision-making uh, that led to uh, his ill fate on his end. Um, 
and so that that's that's my take there. The rest I think we'll cover uh, moving forward as we go through the the various shows. Chris, um, obviously as Eric was just saying, um, I'm no sort of legal person, but I obviously I don't know how American law works. Obviously, it's different over here in in the UK than it is in the states, but. I would have thought that if he's over 16, he would have been sort of old enough to sort of know what he's doing and it would still be on him. But obviously, as you, as you were just saying, if in America, obviously it has to be 18 plus for anything like that. I would be worrying if I was anything related with ECW because this could really bite them in the arse. Yeah, there was, um, I don't know if the machinations in the story or outside of it about the idea that the, that the, the tape of the show has never been put on sale, but a copy of it has been made available to the, the legal team that are representing him. Um, and yeah, I think Eric's, Eric's quite right to point out that there is a very def- definite sea change between the, the tone and the words that were being used coming out of, from Kulas and from people around him. Uh, in the weeks following the following the incident, and now in the months following the incident, that's very much changed. So we'll be uh, interested to see what happens with that as the the months go on. But we want to TV. Uh, there is no major event to do this month, um, so you know we'll, we'll do our usual just TV by TV uh, review. At the end of all of this, we'll also cover the ECW segments that happened on Raw. Uh, the first TV show of the month was basically stuff from Cyber Slam. Sounds a very good promo from Terry Funk that I will probably put in. Well, now Terry Funk wasn't man enough to finish the match. I beat Terry Funk down. While his partner, Tommy Dreamer, cried. Tommy Dreamer had to watch his mentor and his hero. See, Terry Funk, the hardcore legend, not have the guts or the intestinal fortitude to finish the match. He could not finish the match. Something about his ear, he was... He was bleeding from his ear. Stand up here. You stand up and talk to me now. I want to talk to you right now. Damn you, I'm telling you to stand up. Are you going to stand up? Are you not? Stand up, damn you! Terry Funk, if I stand up, I will leave you in no condition to see me wrestle someone else! April 13th, and I want you alive and well and miserable as you see somebody else wrestle me for the ECW World Heavyweight title on the pay-per-view and watch your comeback go straight down the tubes. I'm tired of your bull****. I'm tired of this idiot, this imbecile that you got running around here, Brian Lee, saying, Show me the money! Show me the money! Show me the money! Let me tell you one thing! I've got a concussion, but it isn't my first damn rodeo, and it's not going to be my last! Now you stand up! Do you understand me? Do you understand me? Terry Funk, I will not get up. I don't... Because you don't have the guts to get up. And if you don't have the guts to get up, well, I'm coming down with a stupid 
damn thing this is. I'm going to come down here and I'm going to look you right in the face and I'm going to tell you that you've said a lot of stuff about me. You said a lot of stuff about me being a blowhard and me talking about this and having these long stories. Let me tell you something. I'm not storying you, you jerk, you fool. And don't sit there and look at me like that. I might slap you right in the face because I'll tell you one thing. is my father. I love my father. I can't help it if your father was some kind of an idiot. If you take a horse, I've said it before, you take a damned horse that's an idiot and you bring it to another idiot. Do you know what you have? I'm 99% sure you're going to have another damned idiot. And that's what you are, is you're an idiot like your old man. And I can't help that. But you watch what you say about me, Raven. You watch it. And you watch what you try with about me. I'm telling you. You don't have anything to say? You've always got something to say about me. Well, go ahead. Say something about me. Why don't you say something about me now? I'm right here and I'm confronting you, Raven. Do you have the guts to say anything? Why don't you say something to this old, dilapidated old man? Why don't you say something to me now? Go ahead. You don't have the cards to say anything to me right now. And if I get you in that ring, you jerk, if I have the opportunity to get you on that, in that ring, I am going to tell you, I am not going to be a long-winded old man. I am going to give you the shortest story that you've ever heard from anyone right now. If I get you in the ring, you want to call me Wendy? If I get you in the ring, Raven, on the 13th of April, I'm going to beat the out of you. Chris, how do you? So, as Bob said, this is week two, which is from the 12th of March. And Joey opened it up with bringing out the BWO in the promo you've just heard. Um, obviously they came through the crowd a woman literally jumps in the ring from the crowd to snog Stevie which the crowd the security tries to get rid of her though Stevie makes sure she comes back in so she can get a snog um, and he ripped her shirt off as well you know. yes you know classy <laughs> she was so happy she, she was loving it so, Stevie's the, puts his name in the hat for the title match of the pay-per-view and says he will be the new champ. Raven comes out, beats up the blue guy, DDT's Nova, and poses in front of Stevie. I've waited two and a half years for this. And Raven walks away. We get potted highlights of a Taz versus Spike Dudley match, which literally the highlights are Taz doing a belly-to-belly and then putting on the Taz mission. Chris J versus Tommy Rich. Again, really quick highlights where you basically see that little Guido helps cheat to let Tommy Rich win. Again, potted highlights of the 
Eliminators versus RVD and Sabu. We do see a little bit more of this match where we see a ladder being brought into the ring and all four of them on the ladder and it's snapping. The Eliminators doing a double drop kick to the ladder or the remnants of the ladder. Saturn doing a top rope elbow onto the ladder on top of RVD. But we don't see the finish to the match so we have no idea what happened. We see the entrance of the Dudley Boys and Sandman and Tommy Dreamer, but that is all. We see Lance Storm and his rat tail going against Axel Ron. Again, highlights, all we really see in this is Lance doing a handspring elbow and a top rope spinning heel kick to get the win. But coming out of this, we see the Dudleys come down and beat down Lance, and then all three heels beat on Lance until the gangsters come down, bring out their weapons, and the usual brawl ensues the Dudleys come out on top Axel claims that the Dudleys are the best tag team in the world which this brings out the Eliminators they come out, Lance comes off the top rope with a double drop kick and all six brawl the Eliminators clear the ring and sign guy Dudley eats a brutal total elimination after this you see the gangsters and Dudleys brawling in the aisleway Shane cuts a promo saying he won't, he won't get his neck broke by the pit bulls. We then see Taz versus Spike again. At the end of the match, you see that Taz puts a Spike on top of the table and covers him with the Team Taz flag. At this point, Sabu comes out, misses Taz, and goes through the table. Joel Gertner is in The Hood, with a $100 bill on his head to interview the Dudleys. Bubba cuts a promo in which he puts on a wonderfully posh accent, calling out both the gangsters and the eliminators. Just to explain, Gartner's in the hub with a $100 bill on his head because he, it's, he, he likes to walk through dangerous places and see if anyone is man enough to try and take it off of him. That was his explanation. Which was a very funny visual. Yes, I just figured, I figured I'd put that context in there because otherwise it's a bit weird. <laughs> uh, the Elim- Eliminators uh, have a promo where they say that the ECW arena is more like than a bingo hall to them. It's their home. You get the usual promo package of small cuts for everyone. You get Pitbull Gary saying that he will take Shane Douglas out and a promo where Tommy Dreamer praises Terry Funk. So the last match of the night is Chris Candido out with the full triple threat going against Luis Piccoli. Collar and elbows to start the match. Chris puts on a hammerlock and counters it with Louis with arm bars. The shoulder blocks and headlocks. Chris with an eye rake punches and Louis comes back with some uh, some elbows and a beal out of the corner and into an arm bar. This is where we get an advert break. Coming back from the break, as is usual with TV wrestling, the heel is on the advantage with a headlock. Louis gets a backslide for a two. Chris hits an enziguri for a two. Louis hits a crossbody for a two. And then they both eat big knockout punches. Some double clotheslines and Louis hits a spine buster. It hits a backdrop and a clothesline from the top rope. While up there, Francine tries to shake the rope, but he just jumped before it happens. Chris goes for a superplex, but is missed. Louis back elbows him off and hits a top rope sunset flip for a quick fury of two counts. 
Louis hits a German and an Auburn suplex, both for two counts. And then Candido puts on the Weaver Lock until Louis reverses it into his own and then Chris uses a low blow to get out. Chris puts on a Super Hurricane Rana, gets a two count. Louis goes for the DVD. It's blocked. Chris gets a small package and gets the win. After the match, Chris badmouths Louis. The rest of the triple threat come in and have a three-on-one beatdown. Lee chokeslams him and then out come the Pitbulls until Lee chokeslams Pitbull 2. Pitbull 1 powerbombs Shane and puts him in the full Nelson and the ring fills as we go off the air. I think that angle, uh, Eric, is where we'll start. I, you know, I, one thing we've seen with ECW, um, I think a lot over the last few months, I think one thing we're going to see a lot more of going forward is ECW having house show type events being filmed more and more for television. Like last year, they'd be predominantly in the ECW arena and occasionally they'd have kind of like these handheld fan cam type footage. I think there's now more of an emphasis of trying to have more and more half TV tapings at live events just so they can spread the TV around a bit. Um, and Eric, I think amongst other things, it's it's helping keep television fresh because it looks different. It's helping keep television fresh because it's in front of, uh, dare I say it, hotter audiences or less exposed audiences and it means that when Steve Richards comes out at the start of the show, he gets a hero's welcome. And when Pitbull 1 puts in a, a, a Nelson on, on Shane Douglas, that gets a big reaction too. So I think all in all, on, on the two bookends of this show, a big thumbs up. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, it, it can only be good for ECW uh, to expand its its television audience um, no matter how hard they, they try, the, the crowd in the ECW arena uh, can be can be stale. Um, and like you said, Bobby, it's always good to get fresh faces on the action because, you know, maybe a lot of these people aren't watching the weekly TVs. Maybe they don't even have access uh, to the to the weekly TVs in their in the area. So they're tape trading or they're, they're reading about it uh, in the sheets. And so there's a lot of hype uh, when someone like uh, – like uh, Shane Douglas comes to town or when uh, the Blue World Order comes to town because it's a, it's a good chance it's a lot of the uh, first time a lot of these guys are uh, being seen live by most of the people in the crowd, maybe even the first time a lot of the crowd has seen these guys perform at all. Uh, so, yeah, it, it can only be good for ECW. And it doesn't seem like they're having problems selling tickets in these in these smaller you know, 800 to 2,000 seat uh, venues. And it makes for a cool look on television because – uh, as the WWF uh, kind of expands, Raw and Nitro uh, has expanded and continues to expand. We get the, the large uh, homogenous basketball arenas uh, for the most part. You know, your 10, 20,000 seat arenas, you don't really get the smaller venues anymore. And when Raw plays in them, they black out the crowd because they don't want to admit that the crowd is so small. ECW embraces it. They embrace the arena. And you really get uh, kind of this uh, this picture of wrestling in, in various venues Um that, that makes it uh, even more of a unique standout from from the the two big players. Although I would like ECW to do a spring break show with a ring above a swimming pool like WCW did this month. But otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I would be in agreement. Uh, yeah. Eric, thoughts on, on? I think the two major angles from the show were probably the two bookend angles. Are there any specific thoughts on either or? Well, you know, kind of out of left field here. Um, I was I, I continue to be very impressed every time I watch Louis Spicoli. Um, you know, he had his run as Rad Radford. Um, he was Rad Radford, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, 
and he never really got a chance. And that was a couple of years ago, anyway. And he was, I think, he was pretty green uh, when he was when he was there. He, this guy has really improved as an in-ring performer. He's crisp. He's big enough to be believable, but he's, you know, uh, he's got a nice move set. He knows how to how to sell. He would do really really well in the WCW uh, mid card. He and Candido had a good match. Um, and that's kind of where I want to put my emphasis here because, you know, we know that the Pitbulls, Shane, um, Candido, they're all, they're all moving on to bigger and better things on April 13th, or at least Candido, uh, may not be, but everybody else is. But Spicoli, you know, give that guy, give that guy a chance. Give him, you know, the same 10, 15, 20 minute matches that, uh, RVD, Taz, Sabu, um, those type of guys you're getting, and I think you might get a good a good result in another strong in ring performer. Chris, I agree with Eric there um, with Spicoli. If you know they want to move Shane into the world title picture, you could quite easily put the TV title on Spicoli and know that you're going to get decent matches. Which you know that. That always was a bit of the sort of the the job workers belt more than the world title is. So obviously the last sort of year or so, the world title pretty much has just been a prop for Sandman and Raven. Whereas you know you can sort of say that you're going to get decent matches when with a Douglas with a TV title and things like that, and the Pitbulls. So you know hopefully he he does have a bright future if they sort of want to put him in that sort of a basket. Um, as for using different arenas, as I said back in January and in December, obviously they did quite a bit of taping for, for that sort of stuff in just random arenas and random spot shows. It gives them, especially when they're doing arena brawls and they go out into the crowd, the fact that these places are different and they're not just a bleachers up one side and the thing that they can jump off, which, you know, New Jack's got a new thing of diving off that balcony in the arena. It gives them different things to do, and it gives it makes the show look better. Just the one thing, as as everyone was saying there, that you know, now the fact that Raw seems to be looking like it's going to just go for this standard set and look the same everywhere. Nitro, other than obviously it's Spring Break, sort of has a very similar look in most places. Use use what is given to you by an arena or by a venue to make it special. Yeah, um, I, I think the, my only slight concern regarding that is the idea that they're talking about taping kind of most weeks, which I think is better in terms of it means their TV product can be a lot more fluid and that it can be you know, a lot more week to week rather than have to rely on these big bulk tapings at the, the ECW arena. Only slight concern is that you're going to get shows like TV shows like this where they try and pack a lot of things in without ever really hitting many points. You know, I, I almost mm. wonder whether rather than showing highlights of five matches, why not just show us two? You know, I almost think that might be a slightly better approach. Um, but yeah, to focus in, I, I think my big takeaway was the, the Richard's angle at the start. Like it was, as we said before, it's 
it is not a normal thing in ECW in the last 18 months to hear someone say, I want to win the ECW title. I said that before, and, and Funk came out in January and said that. But it was still nice to hear Richard say it. And I think the, the more revealing thing was, Richard said it, and it didn't feel out of place. It didn't feel like Richard was saying anything that felt ridiculous. Richard said, I want to throw my hat in the ring to try and win the ECW title. And the crowd popped, because they're like, yeah, we kind of want to see that too. Um, and so I like that as this, I won't call it star-making moment for Richards, but establishing Richards as more than mid-card comedy, and the fact that a hot crowd went with it, um, I suspect they would have gone with it in the ECW arena, but it, it, it helps that it's not a, a fan base that he's been overexposed to. And then, yeah, the main event, uh, the main event was, was good. I mean, it's, a, you know... I was a little kind of draw, taken aback at times when it very much felt like they were just going from spot to spot to spot. Like there wasn't really much, you know, but it was a good match. It's fine. Spicoli's good. Candido's good. I, I think they're, you know, I think they're as, as good as ECW is going to get. And I, I think that's a, a good level act for them to have and two very useful guys for them to have around, particularly when they've got other acts like Salmon, like Raven, are a bit more limited. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that'll wrap up show number two. So, Chris, we'll move on to show number three which was from the 17th of the month, which opens with a massive brawl with everyone in the ring. Uh, during this, Raven berates Stevie, the gangsters come out, New Jack dives on, from on top of the entrance into a crowd of people below. New Jack has got a, clearly has got a new favourite thing of diving off high places. So, the first match of the night is RBD versus Taz. This starts with Alfonso bringing a chair into the ring. Taz puts it down, and Taz wants RVD to pick it up. He finally does, and at this point, Taz shoots down on him and wrestles him down. Taz hits a fireman's carry Tazplex. Then they go into a lot of counter-wrestling, which includes monkey flip, reverse German suplexes, some shoulder blocks, and leapfrogs. RVD hits a spinning kick and a spinning leg drop. Taz rolls out and RVD hits a plunger. Back into the ring, RVD hits an underhook face buster and the rolling thunder and gets a two count. Taz hits a German flipplex and exchange, they exchange punches. Taz low blows, chops and hits a drop toe hold and puts on a stiff STF. Whilst in the STF, He's calling RVD Sabu and then clubs him in the face. RVD hits the sunset flip and gets a two. Taz hits a T-bone Tazplex. RVD, a springboard back kick, grabs the chair, does the Van Terminator, and a split leg moonsault onto the top of the chair, which is on top of Taz. Taz then grabs hold of the Taz mission. RVD tries his best to get out of it. At this point, Alfonso does what we all love him to do, Starts blowing his fucking whistle. And RVD finally taps out. Good point here to jump in. Eric, thoughts on this match? I like this match a lot. Uh, I thought they did just enough to keep it compelling, bell to bell. But, you know, especially Taz, uh, they didn't, neither of them, though, showed their cards much. It wasn't a particularly long match. It, it was kind of exactly what you want a TV match designed to hype a pay-per-view match to be. Which was get out there, show what you can do, uh, get the get the guy who's going on uh, to the bigger match uh, a good win over uh, reputable competition, and that reverse or that that release 
German that Taz flexed, where they were just straight on the hard camera, and RVD went over, ass over tea kettle perfectly. It was just beautiful. I wouldn't be surprised to see that spliced into the the opening credits here at some point because it was just a, a perfect example of what Taz can do when he's in there with good competition. Chris, yeah, um, again, it was it was a beautiful match in lots of spaces. Um, obviously, we've seen a lot of Taz recently, basically. Squashing people and no one getting any offense in. So for RVD to get a fairly decent amount of offense in sort of does give him a good rub, especially going into the pay per view. Um, but obviously it shows that even, even the best of what RVD can do wasn't enough. And Taz is, you know, it shows that Taz has that bit about him that going against a Sabu, which we know he will be doing. He knows how to deal with a high-flying style of competitor, which, thumbs up. Yeah, I think you'd ask me if we'd seen this match before. I think we have, um, and I think I appraised that at the time for, you know, Taz won cleanly, but RVD got over in a losing cause. This was kind of similar, really similar kind of finish too. I was fine. I wasn't quite... I wasn't quite as hard on it as I probably was the first encounter. I think it's it's kind of one of those things. It's, it's a match that's... In in such close proximity to the big event, it's a match that's that's quite difficult to take seriously, knowing kind of what you know is going to happen. But yeah, still fine, a, a perfectly perfectly good TV match. Chris, uh, on to the next one. So we join in progress and highlights of Terry Funk versus Brian Lee. We open with Brian Lee absolutely battering ten bells of shit out of Terry Funk with a bin to one point where he puts the bin on top of Funk's head and smashes it with a chair. We get a lot of jump cuts in this match. Um, we then see Funk swinging a chair on Brian Lee and then doing an acai moonsault into the crowd. Another jump cut sees Funk using the already battered bin to batter Lee more and then does a moonsault on top of the bin onto Lee. We then get another jump cut back to where Lee is trying to do a choke slam, but Funk turns it into a DDT on top of what the remnants of the bin for a free count. We then get a promo package uh, announced for the pay-per-view showing that the freeway dance will be going ahead and going into the match against Raven. We then get an I quit match between Pitbull 1 and Shane Douglas. Again, this is joined in progress. Uh, we open with Pitbull powerbombing Shane through a table and then putting on a full Nelson. At this moment, we see outside Francine is smacking the timekeeper and gets his hammer and throws it to Shane. Shane hits Pitbull in the back of the neck with it. At this point, Francine starts to undo the corner posts. Shane hits a neckbreaker and then puts on the full Nelson. Pitbull powers his way out and Shane whips him into the ropes, into which he gets his head stuck between the top and middle rope. Pitbull 2 comes out, trying to help, and Lee and Chris Candido take him out in the corner. Pitbull 1 is being choked between both ropes. Francine is then tightening the ropes, uh, like as she did to untighten them, and 2 is getting an absolute hammering on the outside. Francine then goes up to Pitbull telling him, say the two simple words, say I quit, say I quit. He finally does quit. 
Eric, there was... Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, we, cool. we, or I was, I was going to review the match. Was there anything else you had to say about that? Uh, no. Right. Eric, there was uh, something I read in the torch, I think, from uh, the, the, the kind of event report that some people there thought the finish was a bit of a cop-out. Um, but I don't know that there was a better solution to hand than the one they came up with. No, I thought it was a perfectly perfectly good uh, finish. And, you know, I, I'm always a fan of unique finishes. And an ECW is allowed a little bit of a wider uh, array uh, to do that because they, they don't have tons of advertisers, they don't have a, a network, etc. So they can do a spot like this where they essentially hang uh, Pitbull uh, and, and hold his partner hostage until he until he quits. Uh, it was a very uncomfortable spot, and it, it only further cements that Shane Douglas, in my opinion, is probably the best heel performer in, in North America right now. Um, but no, I I don't think it was a cop out at all, especially if they're gonna uh, if they're gonna continue uh, this feud uh, at the pay per view. And beyond, uh, this only added fuel to the fire. Uh, I thought it was a really neat finish. Um, it's not one that you can do uh, maybe even ever again, but at least not for a long time. But no, I, I really liked it, uh, and uh, I think people who call it a cop out are kind of thinking uh, short term and not long term to where this whole thing is going because there is a pay per view uh, to build towards. Yeah, I, I don't know what the, the the next best alternative even would have been. Like, you know, I don't think it was a cop out anyway. Um, you know, they, they they caught him. You know, it's ECW. You can't exactly get all high and mighty about an unfair finish. You probably you'd have stopped watching a long time ago. Um, but you know, ultimately they, you know, this was a match that was more of an angle that was leading to a, you know, as we say, a pay per view four weeks down the road. Um, but I think more critically, it's just it's another example of how Douglas and the Pitbulls, the in-ring action hasn't always been great, but they've generally got it spot on with their with their angles surrounding the matches. It, it, whether it's individual just angles themselves or angles within matches, they've generally got those bang on. Um, and you know there was perhaps a case that Douglas and Pitbull one should have been the pay per view match. I suspect they've gone with Pitbull two on the basis it will be a a better match. Um, but yeah, I, no, no, no complaints from me. The, the bits of the match we saw were fine, um, and a very strong concluding angle. Chris, the thing is, obviously, with the history these five have, we all know that Pitbull has had a recently broken neck so any way of sort of putting his head in a vice and tightening it around his neck is not a cop-out way out of this you know just thinking logically he has an injured neck injuring his neck so he's going to be in pain anyway and his best mate's getting a hammering it's not really a cop-out and as you say the match might not be stellar but the angles and the story around it and the way they do everything else with it covers any flaws in the match because, I, as we said in the end of year review, this was probably the best angle and storyline of last year. Certainly an ECW. Chris, take us forward. So we then get a promo with the masked man who is wearing an absolutely awful jumper. 
he uh, goes on about Easter and that for Francine should have some edible undies. Shane comes out to talk afterwards, saying that he's going to break his neck and put him back to the injury list as he was when he came out of Japan. And for what it's worth, Rick Rube was on holiday last month, which is why we didn't see him. So there we go. <laughs> well, this, this, this brilliantly watertight angle continues to amaze with how well they've put it together. Because, you know, we, they could have just put anyone else in the mask and then, you know, illusion. But no, he was on holiday. Yeah, put the media uh, in there. I, I, same guy. Yeah. Well, well, more the point, we don't know it's Rick Rude. So I'm just saying, apropos nothing, there was a <laughs> debut in January of someone we believe to be Rick Rude, and then Rick Rude was on holiday in Europe in February, and... We didn't the see the mask man. man. Yes, so the, the evidence is building, let's just say that. So we then go to the World Tag Team title match between the Dudleys and the Eliminators. As with all the matches on the show, we join it in progress. Cronus is hitting a handspring back elbow to Bubba. Uh, tag quickly to Saturn, who comes in for a triangle dropkick. Saturn hits a Hurricane Rana. We get a jump cut to everyone brawling on the outside. Bubba and Devon double team. And Saturn hits a tilt-a-whirl suplex into a splash for a two count. Devon hits some punches and a side slam onto the chair and a back suplex. Another jump cut to Bubba punching Saturn. Saturn asks for more, so Bubba hits him harder. Bubba tries to go for a powerbomb, but this is blocked, and he hits a front slam. The boss man rope choke, and Saturn then hits a drop kick. Tags for both teams, with Cronus comes in and just kicking everyone. Spin kicks to both. Then they come in with double kicks and double front kicks, and a standing leg drop combo. Some really stiff chest kicks. Bubba then hits a Bubba cutter for a two count. Saturn makes the save. Devon comes in and they hit the 3D, the Dudley Death Drop, and get the win. New tag team champions, the Dudleys. Post match stuff, Chris. I, I know I'm, I'm going back on what I did earlier, but was there anything from that? Um, the thing is, I don't think this was helped by how little we saw of this match. Right. Um, I would quite like to have seen the full match. I think it would have probably been a really, really good match. Um, and I like the fact that as a tag team, they've done something with the Bubba Cutter to to engulf as their as their team finisher. Yeah, it it it, it looked good. Uh, it looked like they were close to breaking Perry Saturn's neck, so they might need to work on how they execute it um but eric i think the big takeaway was was well the the kind of shock and awe in the crowd when that that pin was counted because i don't think anyone had the eliminators down to lose this match as we say three weeks out from a pay-per-view i would not be surprised if that was premeditated by let's say the eliminators signing a contract with wwf we haven't heard that i'm just inferring it um but eric a, a, a good change of one that was a shock, but didn't feel unbelievable. Yeah, the, the Dudleys are made men now. Uh, you know, they've they've been they've been on the rise uh, for a while. Uh, but this was this was a huge upset. Uh, when I, I, you know, I don't really read ahead as to the the results before I go back and and and, and catch up on the shows. Um, and uh, this was something that that really struck me as surprising. Uh, 
I agree with you. If the eliminators are off to off to the Fed, I don't know if they could get them there in time to. Uh, uh, probably not at this point. Uh, it would have been nice to get them versus Owen and Bulldog at, at Mania. That's not going to happen. Um, but yeah, maybe the Eliminators are are on the way out at some point. The other thing it does is it it builds uh, to their match at um, uh, barely legal to make the Dudleys uh, credible and, and to actually make the Dudleys uh, have the advantage in that match. I think if you had just done the Eliminators versus the Dudleys at barely legal. Uh, even with the same finish, the crowd would not have taken the Dudleys seriously until the very end. Now they will, and now they can do a little bit more creatively with that match uh, to make the Eliminators, you know, the baby faces in peril instead of these two ass-kicking, um, you know, ninjas who are just going to kick the crap out of this these two fat guys from, from Dudleyville or, or the Hood or wherever they're from. Uh, and plus, if you do this change on the pay-per-view, it's it's bullet point number five in the rundown of what happened on the show. This was the big story coming out of the March taping. Right, um, exactly. And so there's there's something to be said for that too. But yeah, I'm in agreement. You know, I, I, it's the old, you know, don't tell me the Dudleys are great, show me. Um, you know, you can't do this kind of thing too often. You don't want to have title change out of nowhere all that frequently. Um, but occasionally just doing it reminds everyone that, you know, anything can happen. Um, it, it elevates, you know, the Dudleys winning the belt elevates the Dudleys, which is always a good thing. When the title can elevate the acts involved, unless the acts crap, um, when the title can elevate the acts involved, that's worked. They've got some, some way to go to get their act down to where they need it to be. Um, but it wasn't, you know, the, the, the fact was, was that in what, five weeks after these guys had six weeks after these guys have been formed as a tag team. It was early in the run, but it establishes them very quickly as a as a credible part of this group of tag teams, along with the gangsters and the eliminators and, you know, Van Damme and Sabu to a point. It establishes them up, up in that mix, which is good. Um, and if ECW are going to have to build to light without the eliminators, I wouldn't be surprised if they do, um, then it's not the worst thing in the world either. Uh, Chris, thoughts on the change specifically? Um, I I think it it works, especially because obviously um, we had the I know the Dudleys have been about for a while, but not this version of the Dudleys. Um, I think it solidifies Bubba's change from being the stuttering fool that you know did the dancing and stuff to a mean motherfucker. So giving them the belt, I think, really does help them in that. And if if they're gonna use as you say, if, if the Eliminators do go, putting them over the Eliminators, especially if they beat them again at the pay-per-view, will solidify them as a, a real real deal in the company. Chris, the rest of the show. So, we cut to a Dudley's promo where Bubba is playing the harmonica and Devon proclaims that the Eliminators title reign is over and long live the Dudley boys. We go to an in-progress match between Balls Mahoney and Sandman. Sandman is literally gaining 10 bells of shit out of Balls. We get a jump cut to Balls Mahoney, battering the hell out of Sandman with a chair. We get another jump cut to Sandman doing his awful leg drop off the top rope, on top of a chair, onto Balls' face for the win. Sabu versus Spike. Sabu does a single leg drop and then does a takedown with some punches, a slam and a massive top rope leg drop for a two count, stomps and a clothesline for a two, puts on a chin lock and Spike shoves Sabu, puts him on, Sabu puts him on the top rope and hits the Super Hurricane Rana. 
Then on the outside does a cannonball forearm and hits a drop kick. And then hits a court swinging corner bulldog. Sabu hits a springboard leg drop and gets a two count. At this point, Taz comes out, hits a T-bone Taz flex and then puts on the tab, Taz mission. I believe this is the very first time we hear this, but Sabu cuts a promo. Alfonso comes out and opens his mouth. Sabu punches him. He then puts him on top of the table and does a vaulting leg drop through the table. And then goes off a chair onto the top rope to try and get Taz. And everyone gets in the ring to stop them as we close the show. I think we discussed enough of week three's television. Chris, straight into week number four. So, week four from the 24th. Opens with highlights from the previous week's I Quit match. And then a pit bull promo even. Uh, him going about his broken neck will not stop them and Rudes ask if the Francine will go home with Shane or come with him we get highlights of Terry Funk versus Axel Rotten Funk hitting punches and a neck breaker for a two count uh, low bow by Axel and a close on to the outside which then turns into chair shots in the crowd Funk hits Axel in the head with what's claimed to be glass cleaner which spills over an open cut on his head if it is it's definitely clean Funk hits a DDT and gets the win the Dudleys come out after the match and attack Funk Brian Lee then joins them until Sandman and Tommy Dreamer come down to make the save but unfortunately due to miscommunication Sandman and Funk go at it this leads to all the heels getting the advantage until the Eliminators come out who clean the ring Funk then cuts an amazing promo, which you'll hear. This great promo goes on about him wanting the title. Again, shock horror. Someone actually wants the world title. And the fact that he's not a fool. And he's been around the bush for a long time. And will take what he can to get this last title reign. We then get a highlights package of Stevie Richards and his rise to fame. And then we get another Sandman versus Balls Mahoney match. Pretty much cut and paste from the last one, with just as many stiff cane shots and brutal chair shots. Again, the finish was Sandman trying to go for the leg drop this time, but getting rolled up and getting the win. We then get a six-man tag match from the Mishinoku Pro Wrestling this is a preview to what we will get at Barely Legal. The first team is Takamishinoku, Dick Togo and Terry Boy versus Grand Naniwa, Grand Hamada and the Great Sasuke. This opens with Sasuke and Taka in the ring. Sasuke hits some spin kicks and a snap mare and tags Hamada. Slam and into a choke chin lock. Tags to Naniwa, who comes in with a snap mare. Taka hits kicks and slams, and then all three come in to hit really quick snap elbows. Togo hits a slamming set and, and then hits a senton for a two. Elbow drops and a tag to Terry Boy. He comes in with knees to the head, a slam and an elbow drop, and tags Taka. 
A Statmet tags to Sashgate, who hits a snap suplex for a two, puts on a chin lock and then turns it into an arm bar. Taki gets his way out and slaps him. Hamada and Togo are now in the ring and they have a chop battle. There's headbutts and an insecurity by Togo. Then Hamada hits a tope. Naniwa and Taki are now in the ring. This is where it starts getting fun because no one tags. They hit a shoulder block and a hip toss, a slam, and then does a crab walk along the second rope to hit an elbow drop, which was, if you think the Undertaker walking the rope spot, but on the second rope whilst doing crab pincers, very funny to watch. Sasuke hits some kicks, and there's a tag to Terry Boy, who hits kicks to Sasuke. He hits a shoulder blocker, and then a cartwheel crossbody and gets a two count. Hamada in and hits an armbar. Taka then comes in and Hamada hits a tilt-the-well slam onto him. There's a tag to Naniwa and a clothesline. Togo in with some headbutts and a second rope back headbutt splash. Naniwa hits a tilt-the-well backbreaker and Terry and Sasuke are now in. Taka and Terry hit a double team and a double draped drop kick across the bottom rope. Togo tries to unmask Sasuke. Taka puts on a Boston Crab. Terry then puts on the Camel Crutch at the same time as Togo hits a dropkick to his face. Taka and Togo hit a spike pile by driver on Hamada and get a two count. Naniwa back in but gets triple teamed in the corner. Taka hits a second rope clothesline and gets a two count. Terry Boy in and hits a T-bone on Togo and then Togo comes in with a German and then turns that into a full Nelson slam. Tack it in with a really crisp brain buster and a German suplex. And then Hamada puts on a high angle back suplex and a snap suplex. Sashke in and puts on a single leg crab. Terry hits a jumping DDT. And then they team up to do a triple powerbomb. A tag to Sasuke who hits a springboard moonsault acai moon. And then an acai moonsault to the outside. Hamada hits a swinging DDT onto Togo and then a Super Hurricane Runner and gets a two count. Terry hits a belly-to-back suplex and gets a two and a discus forearm for a two. Nani Wirt hits a spinning powerbomb for a two. Sasuke hits a moonsault and gets a two. Taka hits a belly-to-belly and then the Mishinoku driver. Hamada and Terry are in and on the top rope and go for an atomic drop. There's a doomsday device by Terry and Togo on Naniwa. That gets a two. And then a power bomb top and then a top rope sent on for a free that gets the win. This was hard to keep up with. Yeah, well read. Uh, Chris, rattle through your final couple of lines of notes and then we'll we'll discuss this uh, at the end of this chunk of the show. Um we then get a match that's meant to be between the FBI, Chris Che and Spike Dudley, until Taz comes out and suplexes everyone. Sabu then comes out and they brawl and the whole locker room empties. To finish the show, we get Taz cutting an intense promo about he is not the underdog and he knows Sabu's limitations. Eric, that six-man tag, what do you think? I think they were wrestling on a trampoline. Uh, It's cool. Uh, it, It reminds me of... Uh, when they would bring in the the, the Mexican wrestlers or the guys from uh, Japan a couple of years ago, uh, really interesting, really unique way to to mix it up. Um, 
was very hard to keep track of, certainly not an American style, not something that I was preconditioned to watch. I'm sure that's why they did it here. You know, basically do the same match at the pay-per-view, but everybody can kind of have an idea of what to expect. You can shift gears uh, and, and do it that way. Um, most of the guys in this match were, were, were really good. You know, Dick, Dick Toga had a unique look. He's kind of a tank, whereas Taka's this crisp, high-flyer, almost Rey Mysterio-esque uh, with a better mat game. Uh, this was a really fun match. It's just they were wrestling on a, on a trampoline, and the other thing that was striking to me was uh, you know Terry Boy's uh, tights being out of the Lex Express uh, line of, of wrestling attire. Uh, but other than that, you know, we can make fun of a little things here and there, but this was really kind of a cool match and, and a good break from Sandman and Balls Mahoney just beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, the let's preview a match that's going to happen on the pay-per-view by having the match seems a little bit weird because, you know, it's not... Well, I'm sure there will be a couple of high gears they can go into next month, but, you know, they didn't hold back here all that much. We didn't seem like it anyway. Um, The the Asai Moonsault, um, where, you know, he just smashes his shins onto this... It's like a, a theatre stage was in this. That was kind of where the hard camera place, kind of on the side of the the venue. Talk about ECW being in random places. Um, all six guys worked very hard. The match was was good. I don't know if it was any better than that. I you know, it didn't often follow much of a coherent storyline, as as is the case with these kind of matches. You know, Japanese matches. Or if you're going to have a Japanese six man tag, the idea is, I think, the idea is that we're going to kind of put aside storytelling to a point and replace that with, well, we've got enough guys in where the action can be regular and free-flowing. And when when there's the big spot, one guy rolls out the ring and the next guy comes in. So I suppose there's that. Um, Having watched um, a lot of the New Japan stuff for for Super Rules at the minute, we've just sort of done the 92... the Japanese or 93 Super Show, and that opens with one is a six man tag, and the next one's an eight man tag, and it literally is like 20 minutes of just no selling and doing spot to spot to spot to spot. So it's been in their culture to do that for multi man matches this whole decade. So it's sort of one of those of I you sort of expect it. <laughs> it seems to be their mindset if they're having a multi man tag match. It doesn't need to be story. It just needs to be spots and who can take the sickest bumps. And this yeah. was this was worlds better than the trios match at Super Brawl last month too. So, um, you know that that was that was not uh, that was a match that fell on the negative side of of the okay we're not going to sell we're not going to tell a story we're just going to have a spot fest for fifteen minutes. You know I think this match if you take it for what it's worth falls on the positive side of the ledger. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I wasn't trying to be negative on the match. I, I thought all, all, all six guys put in a big shift, you know, not in front of the biggest crowd or, or in the biggest kind of setting. Um, but yeah, while there was the odd thing about, you know, occasionally it felt like, oh, well, you know, we've got enough guys so that we can forgive selling. You know, uh, as someone that's probably more attuned to this than a lot of people that would, would listen to this show, I never really watched this and went, ah, you know, they've kind of given up here in terms of selling or, and stuff like that. They were on the right side of that balance. And the match built quite nicely too. I think, you know, perhaps the thing we slow it down a little bit, sometimes it felt like, as I say, rather than 
have a move, have impact. It felt like that we'll have six guys in the match so that the move can have impact. We've got someone else that's fresher that can come in and, and fill that quiet time. Where it's like, well, yeah, but then, then the moves mean less because you don't have time to absorb. That would be my point. Um, but interesting to see if how many more gears they've got beyond this. Because I think this kind of match will be well received in the ECW arena. But I suspect that given the matches that are on that pay-per-view, this is going to be very much expected to be the match that has a lot of the work rate in it. Um, but yeah, I suspect to be a crowd bigger occasion, we'll see a, 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 a bit more from these six. Not that we didn't hear, but I suspect the, the best is yet to come. Police would once said, man's got to know his limitations. I got you so pent up. I got you so hot. I got you so... You're calling me out now. And I love it. I love it. I can taste April 13th, Sabu. I can taste you. I can taste your blood and your stinky, sweaty, scarred up body. See, Sabu, I am your limitations. You could beat man after man after man. But on the 13th, you can't beat me, Sabu. You can't hurt me. You can't touch me. I can taste you, Sabu. I can taste you. Back in the day, you beat the Tasmaniac with no problem. I was the underdog, Sabu. The Tasmaniac was the underdog. But it's amazing. Full circle. Look who the underdog is now. Look who the underdog is, Sabu. Because if you don't think it's you, you're a bigger schmuck than I thought you were. Sabu, I can taste you. April 13th. Barely legal. Pay-per-view. I'm not the underdog no more. I am your limitation, Sabu. I swear to you. And as God is my witness, you better prepare yourself. I am training my ass off. You better be, Sabu. Because if you don't come prepared, I'll probably kill you. I'm not the underdog no more, Sabu. I can taste you. I'm not the underdog no more. You are the underdog. You are going to be eaten up at will, at ease by me. Look in my eyes, Sabu. You are the underdog. April 13th, say goodbye to the legend Sabu. I'm going to kill him. I move on, Chris, to the final show of the month, week number five. Week number five from the 31st. Opens with Shane trying to unmask the masked man. This literally doesn't have any sort of context. It is just him trying to do it. And then we get to the opening credits. 
After that, we have a promo from Raven, where he talks about everyone in the Triple Threat, Sandman and their history, Stevie about being a misfit and unliked at school, and Funk being old, and how he can take everything away from all of them. We then see a tag team match between Raven and Shane versus Dreamer and Funk. Shane and Funk start the match with some collar and elbows. Funk goes for an elbow and then tries to go straight after Raven. Raven tags in and Tommy then tags in and they have a bit of a mat wrestling. Raven then spits right in the face of Funk, which obviously riles him up and he quickly goes to tag Shane. Punches and chops, and then Funk comes in with some punches of his own, and they go to the outside. Tommy and Raven are in the ring, and hits a double axe handle, and Dreamer hits Shane with a single arm DDT. There's an exchange of punches, as Shane low blows and tags in Raven. Tommy gets a suplex, tags in Funk, and Shane comes in with some punches and some chops. Raven hits a plancher as all four brawls to the outside. Funk hits a pile driver on the floor with Shane, and at this point, Raven has come back in the ring just to tope over the ropes for a second time, but this time going through a table. Back into the ring, all four go at it again as Funk hits a neckbreaker on Tommy, and then slams Raven through the remnants of what's left of the table. Shane hits a swinging neckbreaker and then hits a frying pan against both of the faces and all four brawl again. Tommy crotches Shane on the railings as they brawl into the crowd. Brian Lee turns up, jumping Dreamer and lobbing him down a set of stairs in the arena. Raven and Funk are at it in the ring and he goes to put the spinning toehold on but then decides to go and help Tommy. Raven puts on a toehold of his own until he comes out and Stevie hits a Stevie kick to him, then one to Sam Funk. Sandman then comes out and canes Stevie and Funk. Raven and Stevie brawl their way to the back. Shane and Funk are back in the ring. Funk hits a DDT. Francine and Beulah have a cat fight. And Shane hits a belly-to-belly, but at this point, Raven rushes back in the ring to get the cover and get the win. We then have the Dudleys versus the Eliminators versus the Gangsters. The Eliminators start with kicks and then it turns into a massive brawl. The Eliminators hit stereo kicks to both of the Dudleys, and out comes the Gangsters. As usual, they lob weapons into the ring. New Jack smashes both of the Dudleys with anything that he can get his hands on. They then go into the crowd and brawl between Jack and Devon. Cronus slams Mustafa and gets a two count. Saturn dives on Bubba. Mustafa hits a Vader bomb in the ring for a two count. And the Eliminators kick Mustafa and then hit him with a pair of moonsaults for two. New Jack tries to do a springboard into the ring but is caught into a Bubba car and is eliminated. Cronus hits a front flip leg drop. Sangai throws powder into Cronus's eyes, which means he gets 3D'd, but only for a two count. Saturn hits some punches, some kicks, and some satin cutters until Sangai hits him with something. It was something made of glass, but I couldn't quite see what it was he hit him with, and Bubba gets the pin for the win.
basically just a sheet of glass. <laughs> Is that what it was? A mirror or like a photo frame or something? But no, I, I, I think I, I vote sheet of glass. I think that's what it was. It might have been a stunt sheet, but that was what it was meant to be. But yes, a good weapon for a wrestling match. We then have Sabu versus Louis Piccoli. Sabu with some head scissors to start. Louis punches and Sabu hits a backdrop and then goes outside. Sabu hits a triple jump splash. And then they both grab chairs and have a duel. Louis goes for the DVD, but Sabu gets out of it and turns it into a Northern Light suplex for a two. Sabu hits a spinning kick and a springboard somersault leg drop and gets a two count. A chair launched corner Hurricane Rana onto the outside, onto a table. Louis tries to get a suplex, but Sabu turns it around and puts him through a table again. Back in, Sabu hits the chair jump leg lariat. Louis does a belly-to-belly onto the chair. Uh, Sabu hits the triple jump into the chair. Louis hits a DVD. Louis looks to go for another DVD to the table on the outside. At this point, Taz comes out and pushes both men over the top rope and through the table. RVD comes out and gets put in the Sam Taz mission. RVD and Taz then argue about Sabu as he hits a triple jump moonsault and gets the pin. Taz then cuts a promo saying that he is Sabu's insurance because he doesn't want anything to happen to Sabu before their pay-per-view match. Eric. We finish the show. uh, uh, My my apologies, Chris, carry on. With Raven and Funk having a brawl in the locker room. Yes, we'll we'll come to that in a bit. Uh, Eric, thoughts on uh, the uh, show that we just covered? I had the, the same note for the, the, the Raven-Douglas Dreamer Funk uh, match and the Dudley's Eliminators. Is why? First of all, both clusterfucks. Um, and, and understandably so, because you don't want any sort of real uh, decisive finishes. You don't want to water down anybody uh, right before your pay-per-view. I think that's probably why Dreamer took the pin uh, anyway. Uh, I have to question the wisdom of ECW having uh, – the Eliminators, the Dudleys, Raven, Douglas, Dreamer, Funk—probably their their top six uh, non-Sabu and, and uh, Taz guys in, in ECW style matches this close to their biggest event, where injury is almost guaranteed uh, to, to some degree every time you step through the ropes. I give them credit for doing it; uh, they, they don't take any days off. But boy, if I was booking this, I would really think twice about putting uh, any of those guys in perilous situations this close to the pay-per-view. Understand you have to sell tickets to live shows, and that's where they get a lot of their uh, their income. I get that. But they're they're dancing with the devil here, especially with some of those um, spots in the Raven-Douglas Dreamer Funk match, and then just putting the gangsters anywhere near the Dudleys or the Eliminators uh, at this point. Um, but no, I think I think everything on this show, everything on this last show did exactly what it was supposed to do. Uh, everybody who's supposed to look strong uh, for the pay-per-view looks strong. Um, Taz and Sabu, man, that, that match is going to be off the chain. I just give those guys 20, 25 minutes um, and, and let them let them work with Paulie uh, and with Fonzie. 
uh, to lay out something uh, epic. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. Um, but yeah, this was a, a good a good show with with no definitive um, with no definitive results, which is exactly what you would expect this this close to a big event. And Eric, you talk about keeping guys out of danger, and the one guy that ended up ended the month injured was was Chris Candido, funnily enough. Uh, yeah, Chris, the, the only rest, the only real, the only real rope to rope wrestler that they've got other than Spicoli. I know it's so funny. Yeah, Chris, I've I've enjoyed sort of especially in the last couple of shows, but for the whole month, the whole Taz and Sabu scandal or saga, even um, obviously, especially this last couple where. They've been inadvertently helping each other win matches so that they don't get hurt and that, you know, that they make sure they both get to the pay-per-view. That's been really, really fun. Um, I could do without seeing Balls and Sandman just lever each other because going into the pay-per-view, I'm meant to believe that Sandman is one of the top contenders for the title and he's not been anywhere near anyone else in in the title match or in the freeway or a title match. And he's just basically coming out caning people. So going into the pay-per-view, I know that he's got no chance of getting that title match. I know it's either going to be Funk or Stevie because both of those have actually this month done something towards the champion. And you'd think it's a simple thing just to put Sandman out there at some point to do something with it, but they really haven't done anything with him. I, I mean, I think this is a an interesting change of pace for ECW. The last few months have been really... And if you watch ECW in 95 and the most part of 96, is that because they're predominantly running shows in Philadelphia and nowhere else, they're running fewer shows, and because they're not really building to major shows other than just slightly more major arena events versus others, their shows can be quite fluid, and so they can have kind of big big events going on really all the time because they're just moving from one program to another and different things can peak at different times. But now in the last few months we've seen... One, a very real emphasis on a stable group of guys, as in guys aren't leaving and guys aren't really arriving. Um, and we've also seen that I think to a point, yeah, they, you know, they're, they're kind of happy with the build they've done. They're happy with Sabu and Taz. There's not really many more layers they want to add to that. Douglas and the Pitbulls has been going for long enough. They don't really need to add many more things to that. And so as a result, what we've seen this month, and we saw it last month, the last couple of months a little bit more as well, is that they're just, I don't want to say treading water, but they're kind of just running shows. And I wrote so treading water in my notes, Bobby. Sorry to cut you off, but I think you're exactly right. I don't think you have to sugarcoat it. I think they're treading water. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? I mean, this is just a live event they put on TV. Um, but it's uh, it's an interesting change of dynamic for a promotion that invariably with their 45 minutes of television a week generally is presenting something major at least once every few weeks. That's not been the trend the last couple of months because they're, they're focused on something. And it's fascinating to see that change. It's not a criticism. It's, it's necessary. 
But before ECW was a lot more fluid and things peaked and troughed kind of you know concurrently rather than exactly at the same time. They were they were peaking at slightly different times. So that you had like a, a main event one month with the public enemy in the main event and then you could bring Douglas forward the next month, etc. etc. Now everything's focused on one goal. They don't wanna you know, they almost could have done with a few that that, that finished a few weeks early, maybe. But that was my main thought about the show. Eric, anything more? Uh, not about the show, but we were talking about architecture earlier, and this was a great show for that. I think they were wrestling inside a huge golden golf ball. Um, so oh, I, I had the inside of a brain was the uh, my, my visual on that. Yeah, very like yeah. a dome with brown tiles. Yeah, that's the only thing I'll add to it. It's just the visuals of this show were, were extremely unique. Hello, ass. <laughs> oh, what do you think you're doing, Bunny? Well, you want to talk about my old man. You want to talk about me. You want to say that I am uh, a big crybaby. Well, let me tell you something. I, I am an old bastard, and you can't pull on my heartstrings. And yeah, I love a lot of different things. I love my kids. I love my family. And I'm not like you. I love my old man. Let me tell you something. You're the wimpy little bastard. What'd you say, Funk? You're the wimpy little bastard with no kahunas that sits in corners and won't stand up on her damn feet because you just don't have it between the lines. You're not going to goad me into fighting you, Funk. I don't need to fight you. you got to get through a three-way dance to get to me, Funk. You don't... No. No, Funk, you're not going to get me riled up. You go ahead. You keep on going ahead and cutting in, going ahead and popping off, telling me what you're going to do. Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you that you are you a piece of... You can You're gonna... not going to do... You're not going to do me nothing. I damn sure am. You shut your damn mouth, you son of a bitch. You get shut off, your mouth. Get behind what I'm... You've wanted me for a long time. I'm and not getting out of here. here. I'm right here. I don't want to wait you long. You and your old man. Get up. You say that he's get molested you. Get out. You're just full get of Get out. Get out. Get out. Get it up. Get out, fun. Damn you. Get up and fight me now. Get out. This is the best you can do. Get up, you stupid old man, and fight me. This is the best. Come on, get out. Get up. Fight me now. You the bunker. Never more, you piece of shit. that I've sort of been sort of putting off um, for most of the show. We had a promo um, right at the top of the show with, with, with Funk and, and Raven, which was a very good promo in itself, but I, I think was visually quite good in the sense that when Funk says that, you know, Raven's kind of sat down up against the locker and Funk's talking about getting on getting on his eye level, the promo shot, and you can just see Funk's feet for about the first half of it until he gradually gets down to Raven's level. So I thought that was quite good. 
And then the problem we just heard is the second one, which funnily enough starts with everyone in view, but Funk walks in and sits down on the locker, and the Raven goes and kind of stands, kind of in his in his uh, in his, his field essentially in his personal space, uh, and it builds up, and Raven starts attacking him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and we we talk about treading water. I guess the one bit of storyline progression they've done this month is establishing Richards as the third wheel in that triangle match. Um, but Chris, I I don't know whether... I, I think a lot of it is praise for the job they've done with Funk and Raven. Um, but they're not really trying to hide the fact that it's going to be Funk and Raven. I guess the bigger question is, is that necessarily a bad thing? Or does it make a bit of an orphan of a triangle match that everyone knows the result of? Um, as I was saying earlier, I think you look at how they've done this month, you know that Sandman has no chance at all. And the only other person that has a slight chance would be Stevie. But everything is building to it to be, being funk. You know, um, Raven's promos have predominantly been aimed at funk. Funk has been cutting amazing promos this month either at Raven or with Raven. You know, it, it's very much... I think there is there is only one outcome that is logical and that we can see happening. Um, my only issue is having the, the triangle match. Can Funk do two matches in a night? Or are we going to be relying heavily on Stevie predominantly to be... There's a reason, reason. There's a reason Stevie Richards is in that match, and it's in part because Funk and Sandman on a pay-per-view event could be a disaster. Um, but it's also in part so that Funk can play a minor role in that match. I think I suspect he'd be involved in it a bit more than we think. But it's just so that you know they can have Funk selling for long parts as well. I think that's the point. But Richards' role, I don't think it's uh, an idea that we're going to try and build Richards as a credible threat because, as I kind of said, you know, they're building to Funk versus Raven. But they've built Richards enough to the point where people feel like he belongs in the match and so that he can, to, to, for want of a better phrase, carry it. Um, mm. Carry on, Chris. Yeah, um, though oh, this, this past month is just making me really want to see Bailey Legal even more. Um, as I said, we've had the, the build-up with the Dudleys and the Eliminators. We've had, obviously, the, the, the Mission Oku Pro thing. We've had Pitbull. So, all in all, I think this, this month as a whole has been perfect for making people want to see the pay-per-view. And if anyone was even slightly on the fence, I think they're going to put their hand in their pocket after this month. Eric. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, with what Chris said. You know, they, they they've given us enough teases to all these uh, marquee matches that yeah, exactly. I'm I'm willing to plunk down my money, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if they got a, a pretty a pretty decent buy rate here. The one you know, everything's everything's been fine, no no real complaints. But we do like to give our thoughts and, and give our opinions. And the more that I see these Terry Funk Raven. Uh, programs and uh, uh, promos and segments, it, they've been fantastic, and it just it disappoints me that they didn't just build to a straight Terry Funk versus Raven 
match as the main event or or one of the two main events with Sabu and Taz of this match and then redistribute the talent elsewhere. I think there's concerns with time and getting enough people on the card, this and that, but Terry Funk at one point was a, a great or at least a very good wrestler, and now he's a fine wrestler, and Raven's a fine wrestler, and two fine wrestlers with ECW rules or lack thereof can give a 10-minute match that, that I think is, is – is good. Um, so I, I do wish that now, uh, after re- looking at everything that uh, they've put out this month, that they had just built to a straight Terry Funk and Raven match, which is essentially what they're doing, but uh, adding the wrinkle of the of the triple threat. Otherwise, yeah, uh, barely legal is going to be off the hook. Uh, I think it, 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 if everything goes well, it could be a contender for show of the year, at least on paper. Chris, thoughts on barely legal in general? As, as I said, um, this month has definitely made me want it more than earlier in the year. Um, and seeing that it's going to be more than just to see Sabu versus Taz. Um, obviously, as Eric just said, it would have been probably a bit more logical to bin off the freeway and just go with a straight Funk Raven match. Um, but Again, I'm interested to see Stevie in that sort of a position and see what he can do, sort of given the bigger the bigger high end of booking. Um, obviously, Dudley's and Eliminators has got the potential to be an absolute barn burner. And, you know, Sabu and Taz, after a year, we're finally getting it. Yeah, uh, I think when I said earlier about them treading water, it it wasn't a criticism, and more just like I'm ready. You know, I think I think everyone's ready. Like it, it's weird. Like it's uh, you know, we talk about you know WWE and WCW pay-per-views. They're so relentless that you you never really have time to you know. There, when I talk about old style ECW shows, it, it's funny. Like we talk about where the WF have gone from where we started a few years ago where they had four or five pay-per-views a year where things really built and they had milestones. They've kind of gone towards a, I don't want to call a more ECW model, but a more ECW style of storyline structure in that because there's now a show a month, things build and some things peak at some shows and some continue on to others, etc., etc. ECW's kind of gone the other way, as in that they, they said, you know, well, six months ago, but formerly three, we're going to have a pay-per-view in April. And now they've been building towards it. And now I'm ready. And it's like, they, you know, we've got another show at least before the pay-per-view, so I'm interested to see what they do there. I imagine that's just going to be a full-on preview show, as it probably should be. And it's like, yeah, I'm ready. You know, I, I think the bill's been good on the whole. Um, I don't think they've really put a major foot wrong, and it's just up to the guys to go out there and do it. I'm sure the atmosphere will be hot. Um, I'm sure the... You know, we talk about ECW and guys being willing to put their body on the line for a few hundred people. We don't know what the kind of buy rate's going to be, but there's a lot of guys that, you know, will be thinking, this is my big night, my big chance to show it. Go ahead and do it. So we'll, uh, we will see. One more thing to cover, speaking of the WWF, was the kind of second volume of, uh, of ECW appearing on WWF television. Um, so they basically, you know, announced on, on March 3rd that Paul Heyman and his crew will be invited back to Raw on the 10th. Um, so there's the angle where 
Taz and Lawler were getting at it, and Sabu kind of came from nowhere, vaulted over the top ropes and threw himself through a table, as you do. And then they had the angle with Lawler and, and Paul Heyman in the ring, a kind of debate. It, you know, it, it, it was more strong for the way things were said rather than necessarily what was said. Um, at one point, I think Heyman goes, oh, okay, are we going to start shooting? Which, you know, is, is a is your ECW style line. Um, and then, you know, that Laura essentially kind of goes them into a fight, sort of. And the ECW guys there, there's Sandman, there's Dreamer, I think it's the Eliminators and the Dudleys and a couple of others. Um, as so Laura says, don't worry, I'll bring my friends out. And of course, nobody comes out, which is quite a nice line. Um, but I think the the points that we made on last month's show and the points that we made on last month's ODF show, I think largely still stand. You're still sat there questioning what the, the purpose of all this was from a WF point of view, other than to fill a bit of TV. It's not like Raw from that show onwards has been particularly dull. So not like they necessarily needed to fill that time, whereas at the end of February they probably did. Um, it's not like the angle seems to be particularly leading anywhere. It didn't feature on WrestleMania. It hasn't really gone anywhere since. Um, and all that kind of thing. Um, but equally, Eric, I think for ECW, it's more priceless exposure ahead of their pay-per-view. Um, it's going to put a lot of eyeballs potentially on that show. Um, and also, and I think one thing we touched upon in one of the shows last month, but now seems to be more concrete, is the potential of Jerry Lawler coming into ECW and working some kind of angle or show, probably with Tommy Dreamer. Um Eric, the story coming out of this again is that ECW just seems to have won the lottery. Man, thinking of the heat that Lawler could get in the ECW arena, if he, you know, we know Lawler can be can be blue. We know he can be, uh, hate, you know, hated, and just to see what he would do, essentially shooting uh, in Philadelphia uh, on that crowd, uh, extra security would be would be needed if if the, if the crowd tries to jump Shane Douglas, who they all deep down probably adore, somebody who the, the, the average ECW fan probably legitimately doesn't like, like Jerry Lawler. That could be that could be something else. Uh, yeah, ECW, I, I don't know what the WWF is doing here necessarily, but yeah, as long as they're willing to, to give them the, the airtime, ECW can't can't lose here. I mean, if they if they have kind of a, a if they're working up towards an NWO type invasion angle, then the ECW has come in and just, you know, get pinned at one after another after another, and it marginalizes the ECW talent. If that's where this is going, I don't think it is. That's to the negative. One thing the WWF might be doing too is is getting out ahead of the situation and realizing, oh, Benoit, Malenko, uh, Mysterio, to a lesser extent, Chris Jericho, all these all these young guys that have started in ECW and have matriculated to WCW, if we can develop a working relationship with ECW, we're more likely to get those guys filtered our way and uh, and not to WCW. So that might be what's on WWF's mind here, just kind of this, uh, this bullpen of available talent uh, that they can draw from when they need to. Alec, what do you think of the segment, the, the debate? I was fine. Uh, Jerry Lawler and Paul Heyman, there's there's obviously some real heat there. And Jerry Lawler probably is not a big fan of the ECW style, considering, you know, Lawler comes from uh, where he comes from, a more traditional um, kayfabe-only type territory. Although Memphis was was bloody and, and hardcore at times, too. But I could, see, I could see why Lawler wouldn't be a big fan of these guys. Uh, I did laugh when Lawler made fun of the ECW crowds because – 
I distinctly remember several Raws from 93 to maybe even through last year where uh, those lights went down, and, th- and when they went up, you saw that it wasn't much bigger than the ECW arena. Uh, <laughs> that might change now that they've expanded the scope of Raw. But, no, the segment, segment was fine. Um, uh, like you said, it's not necessarily leading anywhere. It was meant to fill time. Uh, and if it is going somewhere, it's, it's pretty unclear right now. Chris? Um, pretty much as Eric's just said there, that, you know, them being on Raw is a bonus for ECW more than it is for the Fed. Um, you'll know better than I do, Bob, but what's the sort of average viewing rate issue? Of raw these days, uh, ratings kind of high, high ones. Oh, sorry, low twos generally, low to mid twos. The yeah, the Jeremy show did a a very low number, um, but yeah, a few million people, which obviously is a lot more people than get to see ECW because obviously it's on random channels at random times, and not even across the whole of the country. So, you know, it is it is perfect national exposure for them. Um, as Eric said, again, this could work out for the Fed in a way of they get first dibs at the ECW guys. Because um, however much I'd hate to say it, I would quite like to see Stevie in the Fed. I think he could do quite well in this sort of mid-card around the IC title. Um, if you can find another finisher... Yeah, he probably will need to change that. Well, I suppose he could just do like a power bomb or something. Yeah, that'd be fine. But you know, well, that's Sid's move. Uh, we we could we could find something. We've got yeah, yeah, I, I, I must admit, Steve, Steve Richards succeeding or failing in WWE is not necessarily predicated on the fact you can't find a finisher. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's the thing. I'd, I'd quite like to see him in that sort of mid card thing. There, I think he'd do quite well. Um, obviously, I don't want to lose him from ECW because he has been consistently a highlight for the past six to eight months. Um, but as you said, someone like the Eliminators could quite easily move into the Fed's tag team t- division. You know, all these these things that, if they are working together like that, makes it better for them than them losing them to a WCW. But also, if the Fed have got kids in development that they're not quite sure on, they don't want to definitely put in on TV, send them down to ECW if you've got that sort of relationship going. So, you know, there there is some good things that could come out of this on both ends. Um, but obviously, at the moment, it is great for them to bring out more more exposure. I feel like if the WWF sent everyone to ECW that needed more time before they were ready for national TV, they'd be down a lot of guys. Um, but that's a, that's a discussion for another time. Yeah, as I kind of said, you know, they've kind of won the jackpot here. And Dave Meltzer kind of did a big long piece in the Observer this month looking at the, the context of small groups both in wrestling and in MMA, MMA in the last couple of years trying to get on pay-per-view and how they've succeeded or failed depending on their kind of background. Um, and the one thing he kind of said was, you know, the to, to make pay-per-view work, you're not going to make pay-per-view work based off the guys watching hardcore TV because there's not enough of them. Um, you're going to make it work by creating a big show that people outside of your normal realm are going to want to watch when you're a, a promotion of ECW size. And he kind of, you know, he had 
it wasn't a massive point in the piece, but he did say it was that the big difference between ECW succeeding on pay-per-view and potentially not could be these two raw appearances and quite how much that exposure translated. Um, so we'll see, I guess is the long and short of it. Uh, I don't know whether the, the stuff with the WS going any further. It was, that was more of a, you know, that was more of a part two with a, a sort of natural conclusion. Um, I think Lawler coming in in the next few months could be balmy. Um, but yeah, I, I think we'll just wait and see, long story short. But anyway, that wraps up, uh, this is the final show before the pay for you. Firstly, thank you to Eric Landstrom. Eric, thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Uh, Eric, you can be found on Twitter. Sure, at Modern Day Lawyer. Excellent. And Chris Isley, Chris, welcome back. We have, uh, it's been a long road to ECW on pay-per-view, but we are, that, that journey is almost over. It is. We are mere weeks away from it finally happening, and from times when we thought it would never happen to us just going, let it, let's just let it happen. And who would carry it? We are, we are now there. So it is, it is a good time to be with ECW. And yeah, I, I, as, as I kind of said in in the show, like I'm ready for it now. Like you know, the, you know, the, the, it's been the way it's been presented in the last few months. Everything's been building towards this one big show. But I think they kind of got to the first second week in March and just went, yeah, we don't really want to do any more now. You know, it's kind of like we're working on that. When you're doing that big school project or that big you know, university project, you know, or really a lot of people will cram that in the night before. You can't really do that on a pay per view. Um, but you know, when you when you, it's like when you're revising for an exam, probably a better example. Like you know, you know your exams in four months' time, and a lot of people might cram for that as well the night before. But for for people that try and prepare properly, you get to a point where you're like, okay, you know, I can keep doing more, but I don't know that it's going to make any positive impact. I think ECW felt like that this month. Uh, so we will see what that looks like. Chris, uh, tell me where they can find you on Twitter and about the Super Rules podcast. You can find me at Lacey555666. And Super Rules, uh, this will it'll be out already by the time this airs. Um, we have just done the 1993 New Japan Super Show um, and about to go into the beginning of 1993, which... It's going to be probably a mixed year for WCW. That can be found on iTunes, uh, Super Brawls, uh, with Super Brawls on Twitter and face on Facebook. And also, the music podcast is up and running. It is, so that's right. So if you want to hear some music that I like, search Show and Tell with Tunes on iTunes and on Twitter, because it was too long as a Twitter name, it's S-Tell with Tunes. There we go. Yeah, you're getting near the, uh, the the start of the WCW run that I know about. The old uh, the old mini movies and and Sid and Bulldog and Cactus Jack. Yeah, and uh, Cactus Jack getting amnesia. Fucking hell, that's a uh, that's nostalgic for me in 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 2017. Like the, we've been doing this show that long. Stuff from the start of this project now feels old, <laughs> which is really weird. Um, but yeah, like, you know, even like the, the Luger run now feels like four years in the past, not 24, but it feels like four years in the past, Luger and the WWF and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, um, that's, uh, 
That's an interesting time. Anyway, reminder, first of all, we're on Patreon for five bucks a month. If you'd like early access to shows like these, you can do so, or you just want to say thank you for us contributing to your podcast listening month. You can find out more information at patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 YRS on links on our website and in the podcast description. Two of the volumes for you this month, volume number one takes to the WWF looking at WrestleMania. Volume number two takes to the WCW looking at Uncensored. Uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at wrestling 20 rs facebook.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs wrestling 20 rs.com for all the information needs blogs other episodes links to everything is all on there i've been bob bamba this has been the march 1997 edition of the wrestling 20 years ago podcast and until next time goodbye